Finally, books for today's busy idiot. Network programming for dummies. Christianity for dummies. M Moby Dick. Call me Ishmael, dummy. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we've officially entered the doldrums of the season, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We're on episode 13 of season 7. This is Nightfall, except like with a K. Like that Batman story where his back got broken and then that other guy became Batman and then Batman had to become Batman again. Sure. Sure. Or like my first year of college, I did one year at UCF before I transferred um, and UCF, University of Central Florida, they're the Knights, so literally everything in town was K-N-I-G-H-T instead of N-I-G-H-T mm. for no reason. Like, karaoke night tonight. It's like, no, that's not, you're doing it wrong. I'm honestly not sure why this episode is called Nightfall. Okay, so remember how Hook is Alice's knight? Remember that's, with the chess pieces? That's a real stretch. And he falls by stopping for like 10 seconds to get into a bar fight before he goes home? I mean, it's a hook episode. We probably shouldn't have gone in with high expectations, although you hated this episode way more than I did. I'm so excited to talk about this episode because I hated it so much. I think, and I mean, I'm sure our listeners will correct me by reminding me of much worse episodes, but I think this might be my least favorite episode of Once Upon a Time ever. Wait, seriously? Yes, I hate it. That's a really high bar. I feel like there's a lot of episodes that are worse than this, just from a more boring standpoint. Oh, I don't know. This, I We're pretty far out from the Peter Pan season. Oh, that's true. I'm sure there were worse episodes in the Peter Pan season, but I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about how much I hated this episode. All right, let's get into it. As a reminder... Uh, in the past, Mother Gothel had sex with Hook because she was trapped in a tower and she needed to leave someone with her genetics in the tower, so she made a speed baby with Hook and then left that baby in the tower, and now Hook's raising it and that baby is Alice. Also, Mother Gothel is in charge of a cult of witches called the Coven of Eight, and in modern-day Hyperion Heights, someone is killing all of those witches off. Hmm. And also, Hook and Alice have a curse on them, where his heart has been poisoned, so if she gets too close to him, it will kill him. But they can still talk from, like, other sides of a set, as we've seen in certain scenes. It seems like a pretty uh, pretty loosely defined curse. Yeah, I think it just has to do with physical touch. And speaking of physical touch, last week, Henry and Jacinda almost kissed, but at the last second, Lucy realized that... Once they kissed and broke the curse, Henry would die because he was poisoned before the curse was cast, so she stopped them from getting it on. God, I don't get this. David was stabbed in the heart before the original curse was cast, and then he was totally fine when the curse was broken. It's almost like the show doesn't care about its own internal logic. Mm. Whatever. It's dumb. Let's move on. So we open with Hook several years after having helped Gothel birth Alice. Yeah, he and Alice are in the tower painting together. Also, the fact that Hook paints is a thing in this episode, and I don't remember his artistic skills being a thing. Were they a thing before? He was good at maps, I guess. Maybe this is something about 
how this is a domesticated hook. Painting is a domesticated skill. He spent the last eight or so years in a tower just doing stuff. Oh, like the opening of Tangled, where she talks about how basically since she had multiple 10,000 hours to become masters of things, she's master of everything. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. I just felt like the show was telling me that Hook had been a painter before, and we definitely haven't seen that. I think it's supposed to be like a physical symbol of his domestication, I guess you would call it. Domesticity? No, like domestication. The act of making him domestic. Because that's going to be a major theme throughout the episode is that Hook is now domestic. He's domesticated. Hmm. Also, I just want to point out that in order to let us know that time has passed, they've put a couple of gray streaks in his hair unconvincingly, a la when you put baby powder in your... 17-year-old Lee's hair in your high school play. I honestly did not notice them until you pointed them out. I just thought the lighting was kind of weird. No, no, this is definitely a salt and pepper hook. Shouldn't he also be gaining weight at this point? No, I don't think he started gaining weight until he became sad because of the events of this episode. I wanted to see old fat drunk hook at every stage of him becoming old fat drunk hook. Um, okay, be careful what you wish for, because we still have several more episodes before the show is over, and they could all be Hook-centric, if that's what you want. Oh, God, no, you're right. Ooh, no. I want this to be the last Hook-centric episode. Yes, this should be the last Hook episode. So that was a pun, but they don't know it yet, unless they've already watched the episode. Ah. Because of the Hook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... Alice wanders away from Hook, who is painting with her, to touch her force field. And she's like, oh, I wish I could have adventures in the great wide somewhere. And Hook's like, I'm sorry, Starfish. And she's like, really? That's that's the nickname we're going for? She's sad because he's, like, painting pictures with her to let her know that there's a world that she can't ever see. That is pretty messed up. Yeah. I do want to point out, though, you said that she reached out and touched the force field. That's such, like, a fantasy sci-fi trope to, like, reach out and touch the invisible force field so that you only have to do a single special effect. Mm. In a very limited... Right, yeah, just right around the hand. Uh, But Hook's like, look, I've got something that should make you smile. And she's like, is it a dress that's not the hideous thing I'm wearing? Because, dear lord. What, you don't like her tan floral smock? (laughs) It's a tan floral smock. With bell sleeves. But he's like, I know it'll cheer you up. Dirt. Okay, wait, wait. Those aren't bell sleeves. I, I want to make sure our audience understands what she's wearing. Bell sleeves are when they get really big around the hands. These are puffy sleeves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a good look. It's real bad. But he brought her dirt. Doesn't that make everything better? It's sea dirt. Yeah, he... Sea dirt? Sea dirt. He brought her sand from, from various beaches so that she would, like... Sands from exotic lands. Oh, there you go. Sands from exotic lands. So she's so grateful she runs over to hug him and her touch burns. She is so bad at hugging, it's killing Hook. He's like, oh, the worst hug ever. Uh." And then Mother Gothel shows up and pushes him out the window. Force pushes him out the window with magic. Yeah, it's very Jamie Lannister. The things I do for love. But not really, because I'm Gothel. I feel no love. The things I do for keeping children trapped in towers. Yeah, basically. I do want to point out that when he falls out of the tower, they show it in slow motion. And 
As a result of showing it in slow motion, it really emphasizes that he's still wearing leather pants. So, you know, domestic or not, Hook's still all about that leather pant lifestyle. God. You know, Alice is going to grow up, like... Thinking this is normal? Oh, no, no. Leather pants are going to be a huge turnoff for Alice as an adult, because they're going to make her think of her dad. Ugh. Well, I mean, that... There are worse things that could happen. Mm. So after Hook goes falling in slow motion out of the window, Alice wakes up. It turns out this was all just a nightmare. So he never brought her sand? No, he brought her sand. She turns and she looks at the sand on her bedside table. Although I will say it's unclear whether that sand is sand that he brought her at a previous time or whether it's like, it was all a dream. Or was it? Well, she's Mother Gothel's daughter. She should have some affinity for magic, one would think. Oh, yeah. Huh. I mean, I know it's not always genetic, but... Right, but no, you're right, it would make sense. It's funny, even though her being Mother Gothel is the whole story point, I keep forgetting about her being Mother Gothel's daughter. Mm. Unfortunately for Alice, that outfit was not a nightmare. I mean, it is. Yes. (laughs) Also, she sleeps in it. Okay, no, she's sleeping in a puffy-sleeved underdress. And the floral thing was a smock she had on over the underdress. This is actually fake medieval accurate clothing. Actually, I guess if you're wearing a smock, it doesn't have to be pretty. It's just to stop paint from getting on your... Uh... Uh, no, no, no. It's supposed to be pretty. It, I didn't. It's not a smock as in to keep paint off the... Dress. Right. It's a smock as in this is the outdoor outfit. Oh. Uh... But I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be pretty since literally no one will see her since she can't leave the tower. Oof. Yeah, it's depressing. Alice's life, as portrayed in Once Upon a Time, is super depressing. Yeah, I kind of get why she has issues in modern times. Yeah. So Hook runs in and he's like, hey, you don't have to worry. You were just having a nightmare. And she's like, no, it's real. It's all real. And he's like, no, it's not. Shut up. Shut up and go back to sleep. Okay, he does say that he believes her. He says, you have a special way of seeing the world. Which is the way that we know that she is prophetic, even though this is the first time we've seen her as an adolescent. Mm. So he's going to go out and he's going to try something to get her out of the tower. And she's like, I thought you tried everything already. And he's like, well, this is a dangerous something. So I was saving it for last, but you had a nightmare. So I guess I'll try it now. And she's like, thanks, dad. You had a way to get me out and you didn't try it until now when I'm like 12. And he's like, don't worry, look, I'm giving you this knight figurine because I'm your knight and I'll be, I swear to you that I will be back as quickly as possible. And she's like, I'm holding you to those very literal words. And then she gives him a rook and is like, and remember, dad, I'm your castle. Because I can't leave this tower. Yeah. Uh, It's not, it's not great. And then he calls her his little rook, which honestly is better than starfish, which is the other thing he calls her. I mean, it sounds like he's calling her a butt. A rook? A starfish. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're basically sea anuses. Yeah, no, a rook is better, especially since a rook can be a bird. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff with rook. That's a much cooler nickname. Also, there are better fish. Come on. Yeah, but they don't have star in them. Point. Which is like... Hey, hey. Trout. Trout. Bass. I mean, 
Who are they kidding? Sorry, we're doing the fish monologue from How I Met Your Mother, which is one of my favorite parts of How I Met Your Mother. Like, within the context of the show, it's supposed to be an example of how bad a comedian Marshall is, but I think Marshall is actually, like, a Mitch Hedberg-style genius, and Ted just didn't get it, so when he tells the story, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, it's a surrealist humor thing that Marshall's doing. That's just going over Ted's head, but Ted can't accept that because he's super pretentious and doesn't like the idea that there's something out there that he doesn't get. Honestly, I think Marshall's fish monologue is one of the funniest reoccurring jokes in How I Met Your Mother. Mm. Once Hook leaves, we go to the title card. Yeah. And like three weeks in a row talking about the title card, but I just have to talk about this title card. It's so bad. It's all tiny haunted doll sticking its head out of the Once Upon a Time O. Yeah, okay, so it's a doll. Again, it's contained in the O, just like Madame Leota was, except bad this time. It's it's weird. They gave me my favorite episode right up against this terrible abomination. Anyway, it's a rag doll sticking its head through the O in Once Upon a Time so that its yarn braid can hang down like Rapunzel. Yeah, it does kind of look like a Rapunzel doll. It's That's what it's supposed to be, but this doll is not related to the hook alice storyline this doll is related to the cinderella storyline you know what it should be it should be maui's hook don't don't Eh. jesus wait just wait wait till we get there oh my god i'm so i'm so mad so uh back in the real world in seattle hook is flipping through the files about all of the women who've been attacked slash murdered when Alice comes in. Yes, Alice comes in with her little travel chess set, and she tells Hook that they need to play chess right now, because playing games is how you get your mind to, like, reset and figure out what you're doing. And also, she knows that it's going to be a bad day, and games help you prepare for bad days, or they're a way to deal with bad days. Well, she says that she keeps repeating throughout this episode, something awful is going to happen, and her head is fuzzy, and playing games is how she clears her head. Mm. Which is good. That makes total sense. At my workplace, because we do a lot of, we do a lot of complicated work at my office, and in the break room, we usually have a jigsaw puzzle going, so, because occasionally you just have to stop and just put it down and be like, I need to switch which side of my brain I'm using and just walk away and do a puzzle for a few minutes. Smart. Yeah. It's actually really, really helpful. But Hook has no time for this. He's like, look, I need you to go home, which is really mean considering the fact that she's homeless. Okay, you said that when we were watching that. Is she homeless? Do we know that for sure? And if not, does Hook know that for sure? Well, we saw that place that she was living, that weird, like, rooftop storage area i mean that's where she was living right? oh yeah she had like an aladdin style this is where i've set up my house in a place that is kind of in between places this is my liminal space where i live i guess that makes sense for alice in wonderland yeah but i mean i guess it would be weird if hook was like you should live with me so you don't have to live in this weird place where the police will i guess he is the police was like Because the police bust up homeless camps all the time. Oh, yes, they do. Like, she's not particularly safe there. Oh, she definitely isn't. But I don't think Hook knows that that's where she lives. But what this really shows is a 
criminal lack of curiosity on his part as to where Alice slash Tilly actually stays. Mm. Because she clearly has issues. And, I don't know, maybe he should protect and serve a little bit and make sure that she's getting the services that she needs instead of just telling her that she's annoying when she comes into his office clearly in distress. Yeah, also, like, didn't he have a huge thing with, speak of the devil, Weaver, where Weaver's like, she doesn't trust me anymore, she needs someone to trust, that needs to be you now. Didn't they have that big thing where Hook, like, agreed to stewardship of Tilly slash Alice? Yeah, but I get the feeling that from Hook's point of view, he just thought that she was going to become his CO now, which is not cool. She clearly needs somebody looking out for her. I mean, the last time you left her alone, she shot Weaver. Okay, so maybe he should leave her alone some more. No, no, that's the opposite. He left her alone and she shot Weaver. Yeah. If he didn't leave her alone, she wouldn't have shot Weaver. Right. Yeah, we're on the same page. Ah, okay, I see. I see. Also, I know the curse has made it so they're not father and daughter anymore, but are there really no residual emotions? Does he really not feel any sense of protectiveness towards her? No, he's being a uh, 90s TV dad, or possibly an 80s TV dad. I'm sorry, child, I have to work until uh, strains of that terrible song play through something, and then I show up at your baseball game at the end. Cat's Cradle. Ugh, God, it's the worst song. Have emotions. If you have regular people emotions, you won't be affected by that song because it is schlock. You're right, though, about the song. And also, that this is exactly what he's doing he's being a terrible 80s dad also to be fair you can have terrible parents and that's not your fault and then you could still be affected by the song true yes point i don't want like anyone who's affected by the song because of their own terrible parents to feel like it's their fault i just hate that it's the go-to thing for oh i guess i should care about my kids yeah like there are other songs about that presumably i was just gonna ask you to name one but i thought that would be too mean huh are there not actually other songs about that? Is that the only song about a parent being too busy to spend time with their child? I think it might be. Which is weird because 80s movies have led me to believe that that's a universal emotion. And yet all we have is this one terrible song. Huh. There have to be other songs about that. I'm going to look into this. Okay. So anyway, Weaver comes in she's like, and he's like, hey, Tilly. And, you know, Tilly's like, fuck you. And she storms out yes once she's gone hook asks weaver how the blind baker is doing and we rude you just call her the baker <laughs> yeah that's a good point i hadn't thought about that or by her name you know who she is yeah yeah both of those things are true but the point that the show wants us to know is that she's not actually dead she's only mostly dead yes uh she survived uh, but someone is definitely gunning for members of the cult, and Eloise Gardner is a person of interest that they need to talk to, but it looks like she's gone underground, except, oh, here she is right now. Okay, this is just an example of one of the stupid things in this episode. Was she waiting for someone to say her name so she could pop up and be like, actually, I'm right here. Did someone say, wonder where Eloise Gardner is? No, seriously. Weaver is like, Eloise Gardner is the key to figuring out what's going on. If only we knew where she was. 
And then she literally just walks into the shot and is like, I'm right here. Not even anything interesting or dramatic. She's like, hey, we're on episode 13 to 22. I'm here. Let's get this done. It's not just that. It's that Weaver says... I don't think we're going to be seeing her for a while. She's gone underground and then she shows up. It's the extra layer of, up. Oh, it's the opposite of that thing that you said. Honestly, the look on Hook and Weaver's face when she walks into the room, I feel like they're not acting. I feel like they're just reflecting how we, the audience, feel about this plot twist. They're just like, oh, all right, let's do this scene now. Which is... Interestingly, what the writers said when they were writing it. Ugh, okay, let's do this scene now. Which luckily cuts to one of my favorite bits in this. Regina cosplaying as me after college. Okay, this was so weird. Okay, Regina is doing the stride of pride. Yes, the stride of pride. Because I do not believe in walks of shame. Except perhaps I should say walk of shame because she does not look like she just had a one night stand. She looks like she just escaped from an underground dungeon she'd been held in for four months. I don't know. This seems pretty familiar to me. I, I don't know if you had the experience of waking up in someone else's apartment. It's like 4 a.m. And you're like, uh, I just want to go home. And so you wake up, you, you know, you're wearing the same clothes you were wearing last night. Got a little bit of a headache because it's 4 a.m. And then you have to walk through the city because the buses in Boston don't start until 6 so you're going down this really long walk and you're just like, oh, I just want to be home. That's sort of more of the aesthetic I got from Regina here. Although she's kind of limping. And she's like, first of all, she doesn't have her jacket all the way on. She has it pulled over her. Sh okay, let me just tell you what Regina's wearing. Yes. Okay, so Regina's wearing a white t-shirt. Over that, she's wearing some sort of floral blouse. Over that, she's wearing a leather jacket. And then slung over her shoulders, she has a black and white cheetah print long jacket, which she is holding closed, but hasn't put her arms through, despite the fact that she is shivering. Oh, she had a one-night stand with a woman, and this is that woman's jacket. She's wearing two jackets. Well, we know the last time we saw her, she was saying hi to Dr. Facilier. She was going to his apartment. So presumably that's... Oh, do you think that's Dr. Facilier's coat? I, I would not put it past him to own that sort of coat. Okay, I guess I could see that as Dr. Facilier's coat. Okay, so she just had a one-night stand with Dr. Facilier. A really rough one-night stand. Yeah, and I was going to point out that she's wearing two jackets and shivering, but I guess the leather jacket wasn't warm enough, so she pulled another jacket over that. This is a real... There's so much story behind what she is wearing and doing right now, but we don't have any of it. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. Like, I feel like it would be a much better story. It really felt like the last episode kind of just picked up at the end when Regina's like, so I know you're here and you're evil, but also I kind of want to fuck you to Baron Samdi slash Dr. Facilier. Yeah. So it feels like there was a really interesting story that happened between these two episodes. Yeah. What did they do? Oh my. I feel like this is sort of a Willow season six, you know, when she went out with Amy and then she got back the next day and she had the like dark magic hangover. Yeah. Okay. So I think, I think I've figured out what it is that's bothering me about Regina in this scene. Mm -hmm. You're right. This is what you look like when you come back from a one night stand when you are not properly outfitted for the outside or for getting home. Mm-hmm. But this is a television show, and she is walking very realistically, as though she is too cold. She 
she doesn't have no makeup on because it is television, but she has the makeup that's meant to look like no makeup, which is another shocking thing to see from Regina. And, like, it's almost, she doesn't fit in the hyper-reality of television and especially the hyper-reality of Once Upon a Time because she's, like, affected by the elements and her feet probably hurt from her high heels. Max, have you ever thought that Regina's feet might hurt from her shoes? God, no. Remember that one time she was trying to dig up a corpse while she was wearing those high heel boots? I do remember that. Okay, so that's why this scene bothers me so much. I'm like, it's, it's... Too realistic? It's off-putting. This isn't right. Anyway, Henry runs into her and he's also disturbed. He's like, so did you work the late shift last night? She's like, no, Henry, I'm an adult woman. I was getting boned. She says, I had a meeting with one of my suppliers and he's like, at 6 a.m. And she's like, okay, fine. Look, I, look I'm look. i an adult woman who sometimes has adult sex with adults. I, I was catching up with an old boyfriend and... Uh, and Henry's kind of not reading the room. He's like, well, at least one of us had a good night. And she's like, okay, I, I want to just breathe past what happened to me. What's going on? What happened with you? I thought you were doing a game night with Lucy and Jacinda. And he's like, yeah. And it sort of seemed like Lucy was trying to get me and Jacinda to, you know, couple up. But then she suddenly wanted me to leave. And... I don't know what's going on. I, I thought I was forming this new family unit to replace my family that burned to death. Remember, I think I have a family that burned to death. Yep. And Regina's like, eh, kids. Kids. If you remembered who you were, this would be a nice ironic moment where I looked at you and was like, kids do mess up your love life, don't they? She's like, come on in, I'll make you some eggs. I really think Regina's supposed to be hungover. Yes. Like, that is a lot of the subtext of her appearance and her mannerisms. I did also think she was probably hungover, which, to be honest, is another thing that doesn't feel like Regina should be able to experience. Mm. Like, Regina is a magical witch queen who should not be able to feel the effects of alcohol. She's a magical witch queen who, in her alternate reality life, is someone who's been drinking for a pretty long time. Yeah, she's a hardcore rocker chick. Like... I think maybe we're at the intersection of those two things not interacting particularly well. It's like two great tastes that don't taste great together? Mm. Okay. Like cheese and chocolate? Huh. Yeah, I guess cheese and chocolate don't really go together. No, cheese and chocolate do not go together. I've never really experienced them both at the same time, so there's and there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I should hope not. Hopefully no one ever tried to serve you cheese and chocolate. So anyway... Back in one of Hook's multiple subplots this episode, uh, Hook is interviewing Ms. Gardner about her cult, and... Okay, can I... I hate this, too. Okay. Yeah, because Hook is like, yeah, your cult is in trouble, and we need to talk to you about that. And she's like, you know what? Whenever there's a group of powerful women who get together... Men try to turn it into something bad, and they call us witches, or they call it a coven, or a cult. And it's like, okay, Eloise, take a step back. You're literally called the Coven of Eight, and you're all literally witches. Also, you're... you are evil. So, like, girl power doesn't mean that we support your evil coven, okay? (sighs) God damn it. This episode. 
Well, yeah, because her coven is mostly about women hurting other women. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's it's not empowering if you're like, look, it's a group of powerful women that got that power from exploiting other women. It's like whenever some asshole conservative woman has a downfall and then the people around her are like, hey, what happened to feminism? And it's like, well, we don't support women just because they're women. We support women who want to work for the freedom of all women, not women who, like, support a tyrannical regime. Mm. Like, no. So, they're having this unnecessarily double-talky thing where Gothel is talking in indirect terms to Rumpelstiltskin, but she needs to coach it in real-world terms for Hook. Okay, so this was also a thing that really bothered me. Like... In this scene, lest you forget, Gothel and Rumple slash Weaver are both awake. They are awake to the curse. They are doing a whole song and dance for Hook's benefit. Why? Just, why? why? I, so many people are awake. Yeah, it does seem a little pointless at this point, you know? God. Like, you can be upfront about this stuff. You know what would be amazing? You know what would be an amazing direction for this show to go at this point? Magic goes public. I'm sorry. Go on. I was going to say, basically, everybody is either filled in on the truth or woken up. But everybody knows that Jacinda and Henry can't break the curse because then Henry will die. So they're all just like, yeah, we're fairy tale characters, but we're in this world. So we're just going to make the best of it. We're just going to make it a world, even though we know Jacinda and Henry can't kiss. And then Jacinda and Henry have this like pushing daisies thing. I was about to just, I was about to say pushing daisies. Yeah. Well, we'll see what they do. Apparently there's a big twist about time at the end of this season, which I'm dreading more and more as the season goes on. Cause I'm like, I feel like there's not, it's not going to be satisfying with the narrative that's feeding into it that we've been given thus far. Oh, you know what would be really unsatisfying that I bet is what they do? What? I bet they use time shenanigans to basically undo this entire season. Oh, you're probably right. And I bet it I bet it I bet it opens at the close, right? I bet it opens with Henry rescuing Jacinda on the motorcycle. Oh, that would be awful. They're not gonna have Lucy again. Well, they will, because even though that... Because TV show. Yeah, because, yeah. Even though that's not how it would work, it would be a different kid. Yeah. Anyway. So, in the interrogation, Gothel tells Hook that she wants to talk to him alone. She wants Weaver out of there. She won't open up as long as Weaver is in the room. And Weaver's like, um, if I leave you two alone together, are you going to seduce him? And then fast forward your pregnancy so that you can escape somehow? (laughs) So Weaver pulls Hook out and he's like, hey, don't do this. This is a bad situation. And Hook's like, what? It's not like she's an actual witch. I, you know, I feel like I can control the situation, but she's so different than I thought she was. I thought I could trust her, but there's something off about her. I'll just talk to her about the case and I'll get the information we need. Weaver's like, you absolutely won't. You're terrible at this. You're, you're not. You're, you will fail. Go, go fail. Yes, like, he's like, whatever, look, go in there, just don't let her get in your head, okay? It doesn't matter what you do, this is all non-fairy tale bullshit. Although really the advice he should be giving is don't let her get in your pants again. God. So, 
Back in the flashback, Hook has traveled back to the Wishverse to seek the counsel of his Rumpelstiltskin from the Wishverse. Oh, pause up a minute. Is... Did he ever leave the Wishverse? Yeah, th- this doesn't take place in the Wishverse. Okay, I mean, I know that the Cinderella stuff is not in the Wishverse. I know the Revolution stuff is not in the Wishverse. But is the tower? The tower's not in the Wishverse because it's the same tower that mother, uh, that Rapunzel was in. Okay, but this is one of those realms that you can just sail to, not one of the realms that you have to, like, have a magic bean to get to. So he can just sail from the Wishverse to wherever the tower is. Yeah, I'm assuming these that these are one of the more connected to alternate realms, like how Agrabah is its own realm, but you can get there by, like, walking, apparently. Right, or, or the same with uh, Arendelle. Well, I feel like Arendelle's in the same realm as the Enchanted Forest. It's just a different country in that realm. This is where disambiguation gets weird. Okay, but so when you say Hook traveled back to the Wishverse, he just took a boat back to the Charming's castle in the Wishverse. The Wishverse castle. Yes. Which raises a question, Mm -hmm. because he just walks into the dungeon to talk to Wishverse Rumpelstiltskin. Who's guarding this room right now? Well, there are lots of questions. For example, uh, we know Wishverse Rumpelstiltskin was loose. Did Prince Henry catch him? It would have to be Prince Henry because Dave and Mary Margaret are dead in this ha, universe. Dave and Mary Margaret are dead in this universe. And like, I mean, Wishverse, I guess Wishverse Regina doesn't live in the Wishverse anymore, does she? Well, no, because remember, she left with Smee at the end of that episode. Yeah, Wishverse Regina isn't there anymore, and also Evil Queen Regina isn't there anymore because she moved back into the Enchanted Forest classic. Wait, wait, wait. Was that Wishverse Regina or was that Evil Queen Regina who got on the boat with Hook at the end of the episode where he impregnated Gothel? Uh, that was Wishverse Regina. Oh, okay. So whatever happened to Evil Queen Regina? Wait, Evil Queen Regina in this time has not, doesn't exist yet. Because Evil Queen Regina didn't come into existence and get sent to the Wishverse until after Hook was Fat Drunk Hook. Yeah, well, she created the Wishverse. But apparently it always existed. Retroactively after she created it. Okay, but we don't have to worry about where she is because she's still inside of Regina in Storybrooke at this point. Yes. Okay, just so we're clear on what's happening here. Oh, you're right. So she wouldn't have come to this universe to uh, release Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, right. This is bef- this is all before Rumpelstiltskin got released. Oh, so this is before David and Mary Margaret are killed. Yeah. So David and Mary Margaret are just terrible guards because Hook is just waltzing in there. I'm glad we talked this out because that was really bothering me when we were watching the episode. Okay, but it's kind of bothering me more now. It was bothering me less when I was like, well, the king and queen are killed and the prince is off trying to avenge their death. So, of course, things have kind of fallen apart. Now we know David and Mary Margaret are alive and in charge of the castle, and yet still Hook can just walk in. Well, we know that regular Regina just walked in and freed Rumpelstiltskin in the original Wish First storyline. Okay, so since Regina created the Wish First and then it was retroactively had always existed... And we're in that retroactive right now. Did she create David and Mary Margaret as even worse at ruling than they already are? Well, remember, in the Wish First, 
They let Bell starve to death in the tower. God, yeah. The, the tower, the tower prison that, that is literally attached to their castle. Like they didn't check to see if Regina had locked anyone up. They just let Bell starve to death. So it's a good thing that evil Queen Regina set Rumple free. Otherwise, he would have starved to death after she killed David and Mary Margaret. I don't think he can die that way. I, I oh, just, right, he's the dark one. Yeah, I just think that they. You know, had him in that cell and they just ignored him after they didn't need him anymore. What a horrifying nightmare scape. Yeah. All right. I really do kind of hope we get follow- I know we won't, but I kind of do hope we get follow-up with Prince Henry from the Wishverse. Because just everything that went down with him- I think that's going to be part of the time travel shenanigans in the finale. I really think he should have been the villain for this season, though. Oh my god, how amazing would that have been? Like, here's a guy who, you know, he's a prince, he's in, you know, he's becoming a knight, he's got, you know, his mom, who's this, you know, soft, delicate princess who lost his dad at some point, and he's got his grandparents, the good king and the good king and queen, and then the evil queen shows up, kills his grandparents, kidnaps his mom, and then disappears okay here's the thing max he still could be the villain of this season because let me ask you a question who's the villain of this season i mean it's it's gothel right well no because the coven is being killed off by whoever the villain is actually going to end up being and it hints at the end of this episode that it's alice but i'm i'm pretty certain it's not actually alice who's killing off the witches yeah i mean when when you think it'd be uh dr facilier Okay, but he's had, what, ten minutes of screen time? Yeah, across two episodes at very different points in the se- in the season. Yeah. I don't know. It would be really weird to just kind of drop a new Big Bad this far into the season. It's not out of character for once upon a time. I mean, time. that's what's happening. They are just dropping a new Big Bad. Because, like I said, I'm pretty sure that Alice is not the person who's killing off the witches, even though that's what they want us to think. You know... When I think about comic book movies, mm-hmm. I think comic book movies kind of live and die on how good their villain is. Honestly, Disney movies too. Yeah. Live and die on how good the villain is. Which is why Disney's new thing of not having straight villains is kind of disappointing. It, you're We're really getting diminishing returns on it after a while. Well, it depends on how you look at it, right? Like, in Frozen, Hans is not the villain, Anxiety is the villain. Elsa's anxiety disorder is the villain. And as a person with anxiety disorder, let me tell you, I've never felt more seen than that movie. Which is why I love that movie so much. I don't care how many people like it and therefore make it uncool to like it. Mm. I don't think it's been outright bad up to this point. The whole Disney villains, no, uh, Disney movies no longer having straight villains. The Maui twist in Moana was good. Yeah. And... In that one, Maui was the, like, there's a twist, but Maui is still the villain. It's just that his villainy is a kind of toxic masculinity that he's able to overcome and still be a, like, a partner, you know? Yeah, he's not a straight villain. He's someone whose actions inadvertently led to a lot of bad things happening. Right. It's actually one of the reasons I really like that movie. It's complex. He's he's a trickster god, and although he did not mean his tricks to cause harm, they did. And 
even though he did not mean it, it still has to be undone. Speaking of Maui, let's talk about the rest of this scene. Does this scene introduce the plot yes. hook, as it were? Why would why would you say that? <laughs> you're you're the villain of this episode of this podcast. <laughs> what a twist! Oh my god! All right, so Hook goes down to talk to Wish vs. Rumple. Yeah, and he's like. I need your help. And Wish vs. Rumble's like, good, because I haven't spoken to anyone except rats and leeches in decades, so I'm super bananas at this point. Yeah, he's like, I am so bored. Can we, like, duel? And Hook's like, oh, right, that was my plot, wasn't it? I was, like, consumed with my need to get revenge on you? I don't I do not do that anymore. And then Rumple's like, oh, you've been domesticated. I bet you bought a minivan and, like, drive your kid to soccer practice. And Hook's like, I can't drive her to soccer practice because she's locked in a mystical tower and I need magic to set her free. And Rumple's like, do, do you not see my current situation? I'm trapped in a magic-free zone. Which, okay, was that always the case? Yeah. The dungeon always drained his magic? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. There's no other way to hold him. Okay. It was something the dwarves were capable of building back in the day, which is... God, the dwarves got to do so much more stuff in the early Once Upon a Time. Uh, I miss the dwarves. I really, really do. So Hook offers Rumple a deal, which is that he will free Rumple if Rumple will free his daughter, and then everyone will live happily ever after? Question mark? Yes, but first Rumple has to help him free his daughter before he'll free him, and Rumple's like, okay, look, there's a magical weapon that's very, very hard to find because it, it, it's capable of freeing your daughter, but another famous captain has it. Oh, dear God. And you're going to have to have a pirate fight to get it back. Okay, this other captain is not a pirate! I am so, I am so, I am, I am worked up! Yes. Yes, you are. I just, oh my God. Okay, you know what? Can I, can I, can I give it all away right now? Yeah. Okay, so Max and I are watching this episode to get ready for this podcast for you, our dear listeners, and our roommate comes in and she's like, what in the world are you watching? And I told her, oh, you see, Captain Hook is fighting Captain Ahab to win Maui's hook so that he can free his daughter Alice from Rapunzel's tower. Where she was locked by her mother, Mother Gothel. And then Max said, you know what? This show might not be very good. Yeah. Which is weird because this episode is going deep into the things we like about Once Upon a Time, the mashup. Well, it's funny because it's I it's hard for me to pinpoint what makes me hate this because this is the kind of thing that usually I love. Usually I love being like, oh yeah, Anna from Frozen taught Prince Charming how to fight because of the warlord little Bo Peep who was using her magic crook to turn people into her sheeple. Yeah, like, normally I love that kind of stuff. This one just makes me angry, though. I think I'm angry because... I think I'm angry because this is lazy. Alright? Like, the whole... It's funny to say the whole Hook impregnated Mother Gothel with a child who ended up being Alice from Alice in Wonderland. That's the kind of mashup I like. But introducing Maui is the kind of laziness that people usually accuse the Frozen season of being. I feel like the Frozen season escaped that by sheer virtue of the writers resisting it. 
Well, I mean, the main issue is that Maui isn't a character. He's a plot point, and not even him himself, just his hook. Right, just like throwing that in there, it's it's throwing in that reference for reference's sake when it doesn't really fit into the story. It's like they're trying really hard to capture something that they were able to do a few years ago. And the same thing with Captain Ahab, where it's like, you haven't introduced that in an interesting way, and you don't understand the fundamental point of Ahab's character. One of the most discussed literary figures of all time, like, Futurama has a Moby Dick episode because they understand the symbolism underneath Moby Dick because that's how much it's talked about. Mobius Dick. If you, yes. The point is that everybody knows what Ahab stands for except apparently Once Upon a Time. Mm. Ahab stands for piracy and being really intense about stuff. I'm just, Okay. So anyway, Hook goes back into the interrogation room. Rogers. We haven't really been calling him Rogers. Yeah, Detective Uh, Rogers. Like the Jolly Roger. Uh, Okay. It's one of those things. It's like the B-sharps. We need a a name that's mildly clever at first, but gets worse and worse every time you hear it. (laughs) The B-sharps. Yep. So Hook goes into the interrogation room. (laughs) Rogers. So Rogers goes into the interrogation room. Alone, he tells Gothel slash Eloise Gardner that it's just the two of them, and she's like, I'm not an idiot. I know that Weaver is just on the other side of that two-way glass, but whatever. He tells her that he needs to know the other women in her organization, who they are, so he can protect them, and she's like, I don't know. You said you were going to protect me, and then I was kidnapped for like 12 years, so... mm." Then she grabs his notebook away and flips to a sketch he's done of a pirate ship, Although, this is like, he says it's just a doodle. No, it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a good sketch of a ship. It's pretty (laughs) intense and fairly detailed. Like, you obviously put some work into this. This is, this is like, this is the I just woke up like this of doodles. Yeah, and she's like, look, there are patterns to everything. There are patterns to your drawing and there are patterns to the way killers work. You need to, and he's like, really? That seems like a sketchy connection. She's like, ah, sketchy. Uh, She tells him that to understand the killer, first he must understand himself. Speaking of baby's first symbolism. So he cut from this interrogation to Lucy, who is being very upset while looking at the page about how her dad's going to die if her parents make out. And then her mom comes in, so she shoves the page away and pretends she's doing her homework. And Jacinda tries to get her to eat dinner. She made mac and cheese. And Lucy's like, I've grown up a lot in the last few days, Mom. I don't want animal-shaped mac and cheese anymore. Is it supposed to be Annie's? She says it's the one shaped like farm animals, but I guess that's that's not Annie's. No, I thought it was just one of the craft ones that has the shapes. Uh, Yeah. Annie's is the best mac and cheese. No question. I like the white cheddar, and then I like to put a lot of like red pepper flakes in it. I like the peace and parmesan one. That's good, too. Yeah. I should try the red pepper uh, thing. That's smart. We should be sponsored by Annie's because they're very good. We would totally talk them up all the time. Totally. So Jacinda sits down and she's like, hey, why did you stop me from fucking Henry last night? It seemed like you were really into the two of us fucking and then suddenly you were just like cold water everywhere. And, and Lucy's like, yeah, well, 
I liked him when I thought his stories were real, but then I realized that fairy tales are a lie. Get ready, Mom. I'm entering my teenage emo phase. Yeah, it's kind of a weird pivot because she starts out good. She's like, well, you know, with my coma and grandma dying, I'm sort of in a place where I don't want things to change right now. And you entering a new relationship would shift our dynamic too much and I really need support. But also, I think Henry's a shitty author and fairy tales are fake and, uh, and you can't believe in anything. She also tells her mother that she doesn't want her to see Henry anymore. Which, not your decision, kid. You know, I feel like if you're a parent and Lucy has gone through what Lucy has gone through. Yeah, I mean, I it is, she shouldn't be with. I guess it is sort of her decision, not, I don't know. I really feel like there, I mean, obviously there's something deeper going on there. And Jacinda should feel like there's something deeper going on there because she flipped that switch real fast. Yeah, Jacinda should really be wanting to dig into that more. But I guess, I don't know. I'm not a parent myself, so maybe you don't want to push too hard. Maybe you want to let your kids come to you on their own time. Yeah, which, uh, legit. Okay. Back on the street, Hook and Rumpel are talking about Hook uncovering his own patterns basically eloise gardner has said that she will open up and tell him what he needs to know if he brings her back the first painting he ever painted and rumple is like oh that is a terrible idea because i understand magic and that's bad and hook's like well i'm not awake yet so i don't understand what your deal is i'm gonna go get my painting yeah yeah, it's weird. And he and Hook's like, look, I'm just, I, I just want to stop women from getting murdered. What's wrong with stopping women from getting murdered? And Weaver's like, ugh, fine, whatever. Rumble actually tells him that the price is too big to pay because stuff always comes with a price. And that makes sense to us, but not to Rogers, who is like, no, my shitty first painting is not too high a price to pay for women not being murdered, you psychopath. <laughs> Although, really, it just feels like Eloise... Gardner is jerking him around. Yeah, I mean that that should have been that should have been Rumple's argument. Rumple is very not invested in what's going on. He really is sleepwalking through this episode. Maybe being no, don't stop. Maybe being wish first. Rumple took it all out of him, and he just couldn't do the Weaver scenes. Yeah, because wish first. Rumple is like full Rumple. That seems like that would take a lot out of you. Yeah, he's like full dark one, which we haven't seen in a long time. Mm. So. Back in the flashback, Hook goes to a pirate bar because, you know, that's the best place to find pirates. And he does find Smee. He does find Smee and he's like, look, uh, this is a giant coincidence because I was actually looking for a completely different pirate. Uh, I'm looking for Captain Ahab because he has the thing I'm looking for. And, okay, so I have a lot to say about this actor. About uh, about Ahab? Yes. Okay, say everything you have to say about Ahab, and then I have something to say about Queequeg. Alright. So, this version of Ahab, physically the casting department looks like they were like, okay, what would it look like if Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom had a kid? That, oh, he does kind of look like that. Yeah, that's sort of the aesthetic of this guy. And I don't want to be mean, but I'm going to power through that. His acting is very, I was going to say community theater, but that's not fair because community theater actors tend to be pretty good. We've seen lots of really good community theater. Yeah. So he's 
director's boyfriend caliber acting. Okay, well, what direction did they give him, right? Like, he's trying to do a Jack Sparrow thing, which... That's Hook's deal! He's trying to do a Jack Sparrow thing, but he's also the young upstart challenging the old pro, but also he's also been on a quest for revenge the same time, so he's in the same position as Hook, but he didn't give it up to have kids. And these are all things that do not gel together at all. Yeah. Also, Ahab is not a pirate! He is famously a whaler! Look, I'm going to tell our listeners what I told you before, which is that in 10th grade, I was made to read Moby Dick. And I think everyone should read Moby Dick because it's a good book and it's not what you're expecting. Most people, if you're only familiar with adaptations of Moby Dick, think of it as an adventure story, but it is not. It is a lot of wailing minutia. Having read Moby Dick, I am very certain that I could competently crew on a whaling vessel. Also, not an insignificant amount of queer subtext. Not not a ton, but more than you'd expect. Yeah, that's, that's true too. Although, is that just a thing in nautical books? I mean, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff where you read it and I'm like, I really wasn't expecting people to talk about how attractive other people are as much as they do and in the terms that they do well you know you just got a lot of dudes together all the time it's gonna happen also shows up in women's stuff yeah well i i I think you get a lot of queer subtext with older stories because you have a lot more gender segregation Mm. there uh there's this great oh god it's this book about this guy who's looking for el dorado and he's got a traveling companion and he spends all of this time talking about how hot his traveling companion is and I'm like, is, is it something about El Dorado stories that just make them full of subtext? Yes. Yes, it is. I'm uh, sorry, go on. I I just, I'm so annoyed that they made him a pirate. It, it doesn't make any sense in the context of Ahab. I mean, at that point, it's not Ahab anymore. It's just a guy. Well, he's a guy who's really pissed at a whale. They don't even bring up the whale, honestly. Well, he does. He talks about revenge. He's after his whale, blah, blah, blah. Although you pointed out the whale could be a Rumpelstiltskin-esque figure with a dumbass nickname. In fact, I'm just going to assume it is. I'm sorry, did you have more to say about the actor who's playing Ahab? Not really. I mean, he's he's pulled in too many disparate directions to really have a cohesive personality or character, even. Yeah. So, speaking of people who don't even have a coherent character, I do want to point out the pirate, although his clothes look much more Merchant Navy than Ahab's outfit does, but the pirate who is next to him in every shot, who is clearly supposed to be Queequeg, despite the fact that he gets not a single line. Hmm. Okay, so, can I fix this? All right. Okay, don't have the Captain B. Ahab. Have the captain be Ishmael. Hmm. Have the captain be Ishmael post the end of Moby Dick when the ship has been destroyed and he's the only survivor. Spoilers. Yes, spoilers <laughs> for Moby Dick. That makes more sense with what the show wants to do right here, too, because the show wants to have Hook be the old guy who's maybe past his prime and Ahab be the young upstart who reminds him of who he used to be, which doesn't make sense with Ahab. But it could make sense with Ishmael. Speaking of this scene, so the crowd parts and Ahab's like, 
You looking to mess with me, old man? Because that's a good way to a watery grave. And Hook's like, it's a dangerous thing to call me old man. Guy who looks around my age. And I guess he sort of has... I guess he sort of has gray streaks. It, honest to God, just kept on hitting me as the lighting being. No, it's totally salt and pepper hook. Since he doesn't have any lines, I want to name Queequeg the MVP extra because he's just standing in the background during this whole fight going on like a face journey. Yeah, (laughs) he's like a visual Greek chorus. Yeah, he, he is all of us. He's having the facial expression we all have. Even up until the moment when Ahab is like, yeah, I've got Maui's hook, and Queequeg pulls it out of his own satchel and is like, I can't believe I'm doing this stupid episode. (laughs) Yeah, it's Maui's hook. I'm so embarrassed to even be here, y'all. So embarrassed. So yeah, Ahab's like, you're too old, old man. You gave up on your quest for revenge. You don't have the sea cojones to take this from me, bro. I don't know what I'm going for there, but then again, neither did he, so. Yeah. He tells he tells Hook that if he wants the hook, he has to hook him for it. And Hook is like, well, how about if we gamble instead? Yeah, it's the piratey thing. We'll gamble. Yeah, instead of a duel, how about if we play Yahtzee for it? <laughs> we'll let the dice decide. And Ahab's like, what do I get if I win? And Hook's like, the Jolly Roger. And Smee's like, oh, so that's why I was coincidentally here, right? So that you'd have the ship you gave to me, like, ten years ago as a bargaining chip. Neat. (laughs) Fantastic. So they roll the dice, and I just want to say, we don't even know what Ahab rolled, because one of the dice rolls off camera. Two of them come up five, and one of them is literally impossible to see what he rolled. I mean, does it matter? It doesn't matter, but it's just symbolic of how no one working on this episode even cared anymore. They didn't even care enough to center the dice in the camera. So, Hook's like, oh, you got two fives and then another one. That's going to be hard to beat. But, you know, I fucked Lady Luck before. Not literally. Although maybe literally. Who fucking knows? And then he rolls all sixes. It's interesting to me that there's no indication that Hook may have cheated. So, like, this was literally just luck. Neat. And... How, how satisfying. How narratively satisfying that the problem was solved with pure chance. And Hook's like, well, looks like that Hook's mine now. Good luck with your whitefish, bro. And... (laughs) Ahab's like, whatever, you're not even a real pirate anymore. I heard you're not hunting a crocodile, and if you don't have, like, a vendetta against an animal, then I guess you're not a real pirate. But you've gone soft, bro. You've gone soft. You may be lucky, but you're not hard like me. I'm a pirate, man. I'm a real pirate, and you're just someone's dad. And Hook's like, no, that's totally wrong. I am absolutely still hunting that crocodile. In fact, that's why I needed the hook, so I could go kill the crocodile. And then he storms off. Oh my god, Max, I hate this episode so much. Like, dude, Pride is the dumbest sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honest to god, you shouldn't care what other people think about you. You literally just met this guy. Why do you care? Yeah. Oh, you got the thing that'll allow you to magically free your daughter. What do you give a shit what Johnny Whaleface is after? He's like, you, you've you gone soft now that you're a dad. And Hook's response should be, 
Oh yeah, poor me. I have people in my life who love and care about me. Like, have fun dying on the ocean looking for something that probably doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, have fun dying strapped to a water mammal. Ugh. Yeah, actually, you're right. Like, in general, I'm like, obviously, it it seems pretty likely that Ahab would just straight up never see the whale. But it's a narrative, so of course he will, and it's going to kill him because it's this particular narrative. Oh, you mean in the context of Once Upon a Time? Yeah, or... Moby Dick. Well, that that he does, that is how Moby Dick ends. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has to because it's narrative. Yeah. Whereas he could very well actually just go through his whole life never seeing the whale again. Yeah, I, it's weird that I never thought about that because you know, it's a book that's that's yeah. unsatisfying. Yeah, it's a book. He has to encounter the whale at the end. Okay, I do have to say the one thing that I think is really interesting about Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. So something we don't think about is that at the time Moby Dick was written. Most people hadn't seen whales because there weren't photographs. There weren't... Yeah. Yeah. So there are huge chapters describing what whales look like and also describing the difficulty of getting paintings of whales because basically sailors go out, they see whales, they come back, they describe what they saw, and then somebody has to paint it. So there are these long descriptions of how you can't really understand what a whale looks like because there's no way to bring that image out of your brain. Which is interesting, since, of course, this episode focuses on Hook's own artistic endeavors. Hmm. So, there's actually a good subplot that's buried really deep in this episode, and we're hitting it now. Yeah, no. Yeah, we're over a third of the way through the episode before this subplot kicks in. And I know when we were done with this episode and I told you how much I hated it, you tried to defend it based on this subplot, which is fine if this subplot took up more than, like, five minutes. But we're here now. Let's focus on the good stuff. So Ivy is packing away some of her dead mom's stuff. And she's like, well, my mother's been dead for a week. And Henry's like, isn't it weird that you already got her, like, buried? And a bunch of stuff has happened in this time period. And Ivy's like, eh, well. I'm really efficient. I learned to be efficient when I was going through my... I'm really efficient. I learned to be efficient when my mother was going through her Devil Wears Prada phase. It's kind of... She's got this thing where she's like... Turns out the only thing harder than going through your dead mother's things is going through your dead mother's things alone. Yes. Also, we should say that one of the reasons Ivy is so broken up is because she got all the way to her mid-twenties, assuming her mother hated her, and then her mother died to save her. So now she has these weird feelings of guilt mixed in with her grief because she was going around assuming her mother didn't love her, and now that she knows she does, there's nothing to be done about it. It's really, and honestly, this actress is doing such a good job with this. She's portraying the really complicated emotions that are around death. She's like, I don't know what to sell, what to keep. I don't know what's important to her. I don't know what's important to her that should be important to me. There is a great almost light moment where Henry realizes that Victoria had like 10 different gold pens. Because, she, you know, it was a style thing, but you lose pens, so of course you would need multiple ones. Yeah. And Ivy tries to kiss Henry. And Henry's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, you're going through a lot. I, I understand that there's a lot of complicated emotions involved with death, especially the death of someone who you had a fraught relationship with. But I don't want you to do anything you're going to regret. You're having a lot of complicated emotions here, and if you want me to help you work them out, I will, but 
there shouldn't be a romantic element to that. I actually really like this because when Henry first rebuffs her, Ivy is explaining that this is what some people do when they're grieving. And Henry does not dismiss that. In fact, Henry reminds her that he was grieving as well when his wife and daughter presumably died in a fire, even though we know that didn't really happen. And that in his grief, he did stupid things too. So he's not discounting her feelings. He's just trying to protect her from making rash decisions in her grief. He's acknowledging her feelings in a really good supportive way this is just such a well-constructed scene and he talks about how she should talk to jacinda he's like i know that you two don't get along and you haven't for a while but you had a point of connection at some point and she is also feeling grief over this you all had a very complicated relationship and i think it might be beneficial if you two talked about it As much as there was kind of a whiplash when this show course corrected what the plot was, I like that it's taking advantage of how that complicates relationships. So when we first meet Jacinda and Ivy, it's pure evil stepsister. But now that we know their past, we know that they were very close. They were sisters who loved each other as sisters who were driven apart by their mother. And now... It, it it adds layers to their relationship. And also, although it's not really brought up here, Ivy Drizella did some really awful things to Jacinda, but not as a direct thing because she had anything directly against Jacinda, but as a way to get to her mother, who yeah. they both have issues with. So there's a lot going on here, and it's really interesting, and it's not enough of this episode. Yeah, because now that scene is over. And we are back to Gothel in the interrogation room. And Tilly is watching the interrogation room from a TV in a different part of the police station. Well, that makes sense. I said before that Gothel knows that Rumpel is on the other side of the two-way glass. They actually don't have two-way glass set up in this interrogation room. They have a closed-circuit TV camera. So he was watching from the camera. And that's where Tilly is. Tilly is watching where the camera is. And she is freaking out because she knows that Gothel is a monster and she does not want Gothel to be close to where she is. Which is a nice pairing with the last scene because, of course, Gothel is Tilly's mother. Yeah, and really, I wish we had more Tilly in this episode. Like, the real world stuff in this episode should be focused on Tilly and only the flashback stuff should be focused on Hook, I think. This episode should be much more about Hook and Alice slash Tilly's relationship. Because the whole point of this episode is to tell us how Hook's heart got poisoned. Therefore, it should be about his relationship with Alice slash Tilly. And yet, and yet that seems like an afterthought almost. So, Hook comes in with the first painting he ever did, which, okay, dude, yeah, that's your first painting. But Alice freaks out. Tilly freaks out. She's like... No, don't do it. Don't bring that in. Like, I'm getting so many bad vibes. Something bad is definitely going to happen. Please just listen to me. You said you trusted me. And he's like, yeah, I trust you for, like, street information, but get the fuck out of my way. I'm going to find out about, you know, the murder women. And then Gothel, it's a really good, subtle, like, it's not subtle. It's at the forefront. But Hook leaves the room to go into the interrogation room. And as soon as he leaves... Gothel turns to the camera and waves at uh, Tilly. Yeah, it's definitely one of those creepy moments where Tilly is frustrated because nobody else has seen this. Which, 
is a good moment, but may I remind you again? Tilly and Rumple are both awake, and now they are alone in the room. Why are they still pretending they're not awake? No one else is there. Again, look, Tilly's awake too. So now we have Tilly and Rumple and Gothel all awake, all putting on a show for Hook. What the fuck is this episode? I hate it. Really harsh opinions on I this episode. Just, I, it's filling me with such anger. Yeah, uh, that's... Huh. This this episode did not engender that strong of an emotional response to me. I just thought it was kind of... I mean, we're pretty far in, and I'm just like, the Hook stuff is really boring. Uh, so Hook, back in the flashback, Hook has brought Rumple the Hook. The Maui's, Maui's Hook. hook. And Rumpel's like, oh, good, use it to break the uh, bars, and then I can go out and start eating livers or whatever I do. But before he does that, Ahab shows up, because Ahab has tracked Hook down. He has followed Hook, and he's like, ah, you said you were going to kill the crocodile, but you're actually working with him. See, I said you were a dad now, and it turns out you are, and for some reason that's an insult that bothers you. You've oh. given up your great white whale, but I haven't. You're not a real pirate. You're you're just his lapdog. And hey, Ahab, maybe you focus on your own white whale and stop like trailing Hook. What is that even about, man? See, I assumed he followed him to kill him and get the Hook back. Okay, I guess that makes sense. But it really just seems like he has issues with the fact that Hook retired from pirating. Which isn't the point of being a pirate that you're going to retire at some point. Yeah, shouldn't a retired pirate be, like, awesome? Like, you pirated and then you were able to stop pirating and just be, like, a wealthy old man. Ahab's like, so you're doing this all for your daughter, Alice. And Hook's like, don't say her name. And he's like, "Do you? does she know what you did? Does she know what you are? Or should I say what you used to be? And Hook's like, that's it pistols at dawn and and they're they're gonna have a duel and uh, i know i know it's so and this is so confusing to me because first of all it's meant to be threatening that ahab knows alice's name and that is threatening but the show doesn't actually tell us how he learned that name also rumple's like hey how about if you let me out and i'll just kill him for you and then we can all go on with our day yeah which is a great idea honestly but no no, instead they're gonna like, oh, I'm sorry, of course I know how he knows Alice's name. Because he's in league with Gothel. He is? Did I miss that? Yeah, Ahab is in league with Gothel. Uh, huh. Oh my god, Ahab is gonna turn out to be the big bad. He's gonna be the villain who's killing witches, and then I'm gonna be so mad that I'm never gonna stop being mad. It'd be great if Madame Leota was his white whale. Doesn't even. Oh my god. He just needs uh, Gothel to bring her into the real world so he can kill her once and for all. Oh my god. I hate this episode. So, Hook isn't gonna just let Rumple out to kill Ahab, even though that makes the most sense, because he needs everyone to see him win a duel because toxic masculinity is a hell of a drug, I guess? I don't get it. It's so weird. Because he's like, free me and I'll kill Ahab. And Ahab's like, no, duel me like a real man or you're this guy's bitch forever. And why did, Hook, you could just like... 
Hook's like, this is my fight. It's like, it's not a fight at all. He's just some guy who's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And that's annoying when you're trapped in a backseat with somebody, but you could just walk away from him. Yeah, like, literally, I, I mean, I guess the point of the hook was that, of getting Maui's hook was that he would cut Rumpelstiltskin free and then Rumpelstiltskin would use his magic to break Alice out of the tower. Yeah, that was the point. But, like, you could try using the magic hook to... I don't think it would work because it's blood magic. Uh, I'm just going to go with that because that that fits within the cosmology of the show. And then we don't have to worry about why Hook didn't just go and free Tilly. So is so Rumpel... Alice, more, I guess. Is Rumpel more powerful than a god then? Or how yes. does this work? Yes. The Dark One is the most powerful magical creature in the realm. Nothing, Nothing is more powerful than the Dark One. Except Zeus. I guess. Because remember, Zeus just brought Hook back from the dead to be a bro. Yeah, that is what happened. So I guess the rules of magic don't apply to Zeus. Yeah, I guess not. I can see uh, Maui being too low on the god food chain to be able to... Oh, I didn't realize what you're saying. I I wasn't thinking of Maui as being a god. Yeah, okay, but, but no, Maui is definitely a lesser god in the Disney cosmology. I won't speak to actual mythology, but yeah. in the Disney cosmology, yes. Because Ma- Maui is a... He's a demigod. He's a small god. Yeah, which... I, I was thinking about this all episode, even though it has nothing to do with the episode, but I really want to see Maui playing off Triton. Oh my god, that would be amazing! Oh man, I wonder if they there's not a there's not a walk around Triton character I don't think at Disney. No. Nah. But that would be awesome to see Maui and Triton together. Yeah, just it'd be such an interesting dynamic. Yes. Hook. So anyway, Ahab's whole debate me shtick apparently worked on Hook, and now we got to do that nonsense. Yeah. So they're gonna have pistols at dawn in front of everyone, so everyone can see. I guess Ahab is doing this as a way to build up his own reputation, which, fine, I guess that's legitimate, but what's the upside to Hook doing this? I guess he it's to, maintaining his reputation? He has to do it in public so everyone can see how powerful his pistol is. Ugh, barf. I know, it's terrible. So, back in the real world, Hook has given Gothel his first painting and she's like, it's beautiful. The calm before the storm. And as you said, it actually is a really technically well-rendered painting of a ship on a tempest-tossed sea. Like, there's no way in hell this is his first painting. Oh my god, wouldn't it have been hilarious if he had given her a painting that was like like a child's rendition yeah, a of, a, of a sailboat? Yes, that would have been so much better. Oh man, I wish that's what it had been, but no, it's... It's just a boring, well-done painting. Like Janie's pictures of her mom in a not-another-teen movie. Yes, exactly. She has your eyes. Or the portraits that John Hamm does in the Bubble episode of 30 Rock. Yeah. They're all stick figures. That's the joke if you haven't seen not-another-teen movie or the Bubble episode of 30 Rock. But if you haven't seen the Bubble episode of 30 Rock, you should. You should really watch 30 Rock. It's a good show. Even though... It is a little... It has the uncomfortableness of a slightly dated show. Comedy ages the worst. It really does. But 30 Rock is holding up pretty well so far. It's not first season of How I Met Your Mother bad. Yeah. 30 Rock does hold up better than most things that were done at that time. So Gothel and Hook have a whole conversation about how he, like 
loves the sea even though he's never been there and she's like you live in seattle you the sea is like three hours away like even gothel is taken aback by this and he's like no i, I can't go to the sea because it's tragic and she's like all great art comes from pain which no all great art comes from you know work i was gonna say yes technical skill is a huge part of making great art but anyway the killer is also filled with filled with the same kind of pain and the killing is their art it's the killer's way of expressing their pain oh i hate the trope of the kill is the art that's a trope that comes up weirdly a lot and i just it's not okay you know what else is not okay what Gothel tells Hook that the killer has a calling card. Every person prior to their death was given a certain gift. And that gift was a box of drugstore chocolates that were chocolate-covered marzipan. Which is weirdly specific. Also, like, how is she not under arrest? How is she not a person of interest here? I, 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 this whole, Max, I hate it. I hate it so much. We don't have to think about it, though, because we cut to another Ivy scene. Ivy has come to drop off some items for Lucy. Okay, I love how their dynamic is such that Ivy can't just say, I need to process my grief with you. She has to come in. Even though she's doing something nice and be super bitchy about it, she's like, oh my god, Jacinda, I dragged all of your crap all the way over here from our mom's house. Okay. Gah. And it's like, thank you, that was a nice thing for you to do, and clearly you are constitutionally incapable of saying, I want to talk to you about our grief. I do like how matter-of-fact Jacinda is here, because she is like, look, if you want to talk, we can talk. You don't have to do this. And... Ivy's like, I, I kind of do. This is this is the way I process emotions. And Jacinda's like, have you ever thought that maybe that's not healthy? Maybe that's why you don't have any friends, Ivy. Yeah, and Ivy's like, you have all of these important relationships in your life and I don't. And Jacinda's like, but you could. And Ivy has this bit where she's talking about how Jacinda knows more about how relationships are going to work and like... She, the fact that she has this amazing dynamic with Lucy speaks to the fact that she's a great mother and that's not really something she wants to know how Jacinda learned all of this stuff because they both grew up in the same environment and yet Jacinda seems to understand how people work better. That is a good question. Um, Jacinda's answer, though, is that she doesn't maybe understand her daughter as much as she wants to because Lucy's acting hella weird right now and Jacinda does not know why. I really like how this doesn't, like, undo all of the negative stuff in their relationship beforehand. Like, it's acknowledging it, but it's also like, okay, this is something maybe we just need to move past. And Jacinda hugs Lucy, and Lucy looks kind of star- It's such a well-done scene, and this- it deserves a better episode around it. It really does. Oh, man, when Jacinda hugged Ivy, it was such a perfect moment. And I was just flashing back to that episode of Arrested Development. Where... What are you doing? <laughs> what is this? Why are you pressing your body against me? That's totally the look that Ivy had on her face. 
And then Jacinda, because she knows that Ivy's love language is gifts, gives Ivy a doll that apparently belonged to her when they were children. And it's the doll from the title card, which... It's such a minor part of this episode. It's so weird. Also, it's a little weird that Rapunzel gave her daughter a Rapunzel doll. Here's the thing. I don't think it is a Rapunzel doll. Like, in the title card, they had its hair hanging down, but it's not like it has super long hair. It has normal length hair. Yeah, I was just thinking of it as, like, a rag doll, but you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe it is supposed to be a Rapunzel rag doll, which, yeah, is a weird thing for Rapunzel's daughters to have. So Wait, can you imagine that? Now I'm just thinking about giving your children a rag doll of you. Like a cloth mother. Oh my god, it's the cloth mother because of course Victoria never showed love. It's their cloth mother. Oh my god, the sequence is so much deeper than I thought. Again, it's really weird that these scenes are in this episode. I mean, it's good because they're, for me, what saves this episode. Uh-huh. But also, it feels like they're much, much, much better written than everything else that happened in this episode. So, I don't know what's going on here. They definitely are. These scenes are, like, on loan from a better episode. So, Ivy hugs the doll and then she's like, wait, I know what I can do to honor Mother's memory. I'm going to finish what she started. And just is like, What? And Ivy's like, thank you. And Jacinda's like, no, really, I feel like I need more information. Right? Ivy just races out and Jacinda's like, oh, shit, she's going to do something really evil. Yeah, Jacinda, she just has this great facial expression after Ivy leaves. And the camera halts on her for just a little bit. And she's like, ugh. But it is a really good moment of connection between the two. And it is a really good, I think, necessary scene at this part of the season. Yeah, and at this point in the episode, when I was otherwise really ready to give up. Speaking of giving up, the duel. Oh, I mean, it's a duel, right? Like, nothing interesting happens in the duel. There's no twist to it, right? I assumed that, because they're doing the countdown, they're walking away from each other in slow motion, and then they both turn on 10 and shoot, and I assumed that Hook was going to turn early because he's still a real pirate, and that's a real piratey move. But no, no, they both turn on 10, they both shoot, and as they shoot, Hook's whole life with Alice flashes before his eyes, and he's like, oh, fuck, I'm gonna die, and then my daughter's gonna die in the tower, because no one knows she's there. This was completely unnecessary. But it turns out, Hook is only grazed, it's just his shoulder, whereas Ahab is dead. Well, Smee makes a point to say very loudly in a very Dragon Ball Z dub-esque, or if you would rather, G.I. Joe the movie-esque, wow, it looks like that wound will be fatal if he doesn't get it cleaned out, but if he gets it all cleaned out, then he should be fine, but you clearly won the duel. He's gonna be fine, but you clearly won the duel. Yeah, they do do that. Ugh. But Hook reaches into his pocket and he finds the Rook piece and he's like, I may have won the duel, but I lost my soul. I've made a dreadful mistake, which is so close to being an Arrested Development quote, but we're moving past that. He gets up and he's like, well, that was pointless. Bye. Yeah. And he wanders off. Which, yeah, that basically sums up your plot this episode. Yeah. So then we go back to Hyperion Heights. Where Weaver and Rogers are going into a flower store and they see the truffles that have been delivered so they know that whoever runs this flower store is the next target. Who, who, which, which, which is, which, 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 which 
other than Gothel is associated with flowers. Hmm. I mean, it's Gothel. Gothel's the witch who's associated with flowers off the top of my head. Huh. All right. Well, I don't know which witch. Well, uh, if you wanted to take it real loose uh-huh. and it would have to be a different version of it, but the Enchantress from Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Man, I really wish they had done the story where it turned out that Blue was the Enchantress from Beauty and the Beast, but oh, that time has passed. Hmm. Anyway, it doesn't matter which witch it is because the man who runs the store comes out and says that his wife, Luann, who used to run the store. Oh, is that supposed to be, do you think, Leota? Do you think Luann is Leota? Well, maybe. It's really weird because they're like, the name on this chocolates is Luann Hoffins Fafenoffer. Who is she? We need to tell her her life's in danger. And the guy's like, a little late. She's been dead for like 10 years. It's my wife. And they don't ask, then why is there a thing of chocolates with her name on it here? Well, it's been delivered. That's how they found this place. They asked the people who delivered the chocolates who they had delivered it to. Hmm. Okay, but now I definitely think, okay, now I definitely think that this is Leota because remember, Leota is dead and in between worlds. That's what Gothel was trying to do was bring her back. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'm back on board as much as I can be with anything in this episode. She's not really garden associated, is she, though? Flower shop. I guess her husband could be somebody. Yeah, I don't really know what it's supposed to be, although I will say that... As they're walking down the street, they walk past the flower shop, and they very conspicuously walk past a bridal shop then, Hmm. filled with dresses, which makes me think that perhaps the show is going to conflate Leota, who is the witch inside the crystal ball who does the seance in Haunted Mansion, with Constance, the dead bride from Haunted Mansion. Hmm. I can see that. Or maybe they're just walking down a real street, and that's what's on that real street. Also possible. Like, literally, it could be either of those things and neither would surprise me. But Rumble has a really good point, Weaver. Weaver's like, oh, wait, duh, this is a false flag thing to draw our attention away from the one person who wasn't successfully murdered by this person. And they immediately run to the hospital where the blind baker is being treated. Yeah, murdered. (laughs) Yeah, spoiler for 10 seconds from now. She has been stabbed to death. Also, the guards around her room are unconscious. So, not really an ace job gardening there. Yeah, I guess not. So, all that is in the room is an unconscious guard, a dead witch, and Tilly slash Alice holding a scalpel. And Rumpel's like, uh, maybe you should put that down. And Tilly's like, fuck you, fuck you. I told you both something bad was going to happen, but oh no, let's ignore Tilly. And Hook's like... I should have paid more attention to you until he's like, no fucking duh. I didn't murder this lady, by the way, but bye. And then she jumps out the window. Yeah, and they're on like the second floor. So she like parkours out the window. It's pretty great because Rogers is like, there's nowhere you can go. You can't escape. And Tilly's like, do you not remember the first episode of this season where I jumped off the roof of a building and landed totally fine? Well, Hook wasn't there for that. That is true. But I do love how she just jumps out the window and then starts running. And there are these doctors who are just wandering around the the grounds and she just runs past them. They do not give her a second look. She jumped out a window in front of you guys. My God. So back in the flashback, Alice is painting. It's her and presumably Hook sitting on a beach with a fire. Well, it's, it's, it's two silhouettes. It's two people sitting on a beach where there's a fire going. I guess I shouldn't assume that those two people are her and Hook. 
I was actually thinking maybe it was Henry and Peter Pan from back in the Peter Pan season. Oh, you think she's like, uh, you think she's like Isaac from Heroes and she paints the future? Because timeline-wise, that might be the future now? I do. I do think she paints real scenes, whether they're in the future or the past or the present. So Hook shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here and I got a magic hook. And Alice is like, oh, I was starting to worry. Which, I mean... Okay, so he, I he, guess... He didn't really have a set time limit for how long this would take. Yeah, but also, backing up a second, I guess the hook is all he needs to get her out of the tower? In which case, why did he need to set Rumpel free? In which case, like, what is happening? <sighs> I guess, I guess the hook can break blood magic? Okay, fine. I guess. I mean, the hook was a gift from the gods, so I... Yeah, uh, I guess? Sure, it tracks. It, it was a gift from the gods to Maui, who was a demigod, so god magic probably trumps weird tower magic. Okay. But none of that matters, because when Alice goes to hug Hook, all of a sudden, the poisoned heart makes itself known. His heart glows green, and she gets that little scar that she gets on her wrist that shows that she has touched someone who will die if they touch her. Yes, and Gothel shows up to explain uh, what's going on. Mirroring the vision that Alice had in her dream earlier in the episode. Yes, exactly. They've been marked. Every time Alice gets physically close to him, he starts dying more. And... Gothel's here to... Rub it in. Explain why Hook's a bad dad. Yeah, she's like, your dad didn't come straight home. He went on a detour first where he had a duel. And Alice is like... You promised me! She's so mad! She's like, you broke your promise to come straight home. Which, you know what, I'm mocking this right now, but having said out loud, you broke your promise to come straight home, that is a very fairy tale thing, so... I'll allow it. And Gothel points out, which honestly is a pretty solid thing. I don't know what Gothel's endgame is here, but Gothel's like, you know, I poisoned the bullet in Ahab's gun. If you had done as you promised and come straight back, then this None of this would happen? Yeah, this wouldn't have happened. If your pride wasn't more important than your daughter, then you would still be able to be with your daughter without dying. Which is why I was saying before, oh right, Ahab is in league with Gothel. Yeah, although theoretically she could have just, you know, poisoned his bullet. Yeah, except that he did know Alice's name. Right. So then Gothel, she does not force push Hook out the window as she did in the dream. She just bamps him outside to the ground. You know, I'm thinking about this, and I'm sure we'll get the answer in probably next week's episode, which is going to be Alice-focused. Thank God. But... Does Gothel, now that Alice is a little older, want to raise her herself? Is that what's going on? Well, is she trying to make Alice into the guardian or whatever? It's been so long since they said the name of the special magic person that Gothel apparently wants for whatever reason. Yeah, it is the guardian. Uh Uh-huh. Is she now like, oh, wait a second. I could probably use that person I made to become the guardian or whatever who I want for whatever reason. Right, because remember her whole thing is, you know... We haven't, you know, I hadn't made the connection earlier in this episode, but Gothel's whole thing is trying to find someone whose heart can't be corrupted, a la the people in Shazam. (laughs) So her whole thing with 
By the way, Shazam, such a good movie. You yeah, more people it. should watch that. It's like the best DC movie, and it got it had like the lowest opening box because everyone was so used to all the bad DC movies. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, oh, by the way, starring Zachary Levi, Flynn, Flynn Rider. So yeah, no, Gothel's whole thing with Rapunzel was she gave her the means to get revenge, but then when Rapunzel actually enacted revenge, that meant her heart was corrupt. She set Hook up in a position where his pride would punish him, but if he had just come back, there would be no issue. Yeah, her whole thing is trying to, like, find an uncorrupted person. Hmm. Yeah. Why she thought that would be Hook is bizarre, but... Yeah, you work with what you got. Hmm. So, yeah, I think her thing is going to be trying to raise Alice now, which is... Which which could be an interesting story. Yeah. So she bamps down to the floor of the tower and... Or to the ground outside the tower. And Hook's like, you can't keep me from her. I'm going to save her. And Gothel's like, no. Like, you're just going to fail over and over and over and over and over again. She's like, just go back to the bar and get drunk. And then she, I'm pretty sure Gothel is amplifying this for Hook's benefit. But you just hear Alice shouting, Papa, save me! Like, over and over again in a manner that's supposed to be heartbreaking, but is really just like, oh my god, this episode. And she's crying out, and Hook's just staring up at the tower. I mean, it just means you can't physically be near her. You can still, like... Kill Gothel? I was going to say, like, find a way for her to get out of the tower. Yes, you could do both of those things. Plus, I mean... Is God, does the tower provide you with food? I mean, it must. Because, I mean, Rapunzel is just there by herself for decades, unless Gothel was stopping by to drop off food. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so it must. Yeah. So, in the real world, I kind of love this, okay? Uh, this is, like, one of the things in the episode that I like, so I'm, I'm, I have to point it out because there's so few in this episode. Mm-hmm. Back in Hyperion Heights, Hook and Rumple walk into Tilly's place. So I guess Hook does know where she's staying. Whatever whatever place she's squatting. They walk into her place. And she has a giant painting of the Coven of Eight symbol with two of the prongs crossed off. And, and they're like, okay, this looks bad. But let's not jump to conclusions. God. It's pretty on the nose. It is very much like the bride's list from Kill Bill. Yeah. I I love I love Roger says, I know how this looks, but there's no way Tilly did this. And he talks about how her upside down thinking has gone more upside down than usual, blah blah blah. And then I hate this too, by the way, the next thing that's happening. And then Rumpel's like, all right, I'm going to clue you into what's going on, except I'm going to make it not sound magical. So here we go. Tilly had an experience with this cult, and it's what messed her up because the cult is the reason she was separated from her father. From the person she loved the most. Well, yeah, well, he does the thing where he's like, the person she loved the most. Her father. And therefore... She has a motive to kill, so we definitely need to go arrest her. And there's a whole, like, we're doing, we're taking her into custody, but it's for her own good or her own protection. Or 
I don't know. It's weird. So basically, Weaver's going to go back to the station and Hook is going to go find Tilly. And prove her. He's like, I'm going to find Tilly and I'm going to prove her innocence. And Weaver looks at him and I do kind of love this. He's like, neat. And then he walks off. Like he has a real, okay, whatever. I'm so minorly invested in this. Meanwhile, in the subplot that only gets five minutes but is much better, Ivy shows up at Henry's apartment with uh, Mochi. Yeah. Uh, to thank him for helping her work through some of her emotional stuff. And uh, he asks, he's like, what did I do to deserve the city's best mochi? And she's like, you're right. I I talked with, uh, I talked with Jacinda and I think I'm in a much better place now. Family's really important and I, I've done some horrible things and I need to start trying to make up for them. Unlike my mother... I need to do that before the very last second. Yeah. She says she's going to fix some of the horrible things she's done. And the first thing she needs to do is find her other sister, Anastasia. Her non-Jacinda sister. And Henry's like, wait, you, there's another sister now? And and Ivy's like, oh my god, I forgot that you weren't following along the whole time. Yeah, I have another sister and she has even more reason to hate me than Jacinda. And Henry's like... Really? Uh, okay. Okay, by the way, Ivy, I appreciate you reminding us that Anastasia exists, but also, can I just point out, more people should have been looking for Anastasia after Victoria died. Yeah, her existence is in this sort of weird limbo here where it seems kind of like people know about her, but kind of not. Like she was in a hospital and... I don't know what her dynamic is in this world. Okay, so she must, some record of her existence must be out there because she was in the hospital. But then when Weaver told Rogers the truth except minus magic, he said that the cult had kidnapped Victoria's daughter. Now Victoria is dead, dead at the hands of the cult, so it seems, and nobody has asked where the daughter is it's poor anastasia more people should be looking for her seriously so she asks henry for his help in finding her because he could be the hero she needs and henry's like well play to my ego more why don't you (laughs) so finally we get to the scene that is what i think this show should be doing lucy goes to the bar to talk to ronnie and basically clues her in on the whole if Henry kisses Jacinda, then the curse will break, but he'll die. And Ronnie's like, yeah, I know, I'm Regina, I'm awake, I know what's up. And Lucy's like, wait, seriously? And Regina's like, yeah, I don't really see a point in hiding it. I'm awake, I am the evil queen, I know everything, and you're right, and we need to work together to undo everything that's gone down. And Lucy's like, okay, why weren't we doing this earlier? You know what? I I just hope that there's a scene at some point between now and when the curse is actually broken where people are, like, walking around trying to remember who is and who isn't (laughs) awake. Like, who they have to hide in front of and who they can be themselves in front of. And at some point, they're all, like, talking about Hyperion Heights and then they kind of look around and they're like, oh, wait, everyone in this room is awake. We can can stop with this nonsense. So Lucy's like, wait, you're awake and... And I'm your granddaughter. And Virginia's like, yes, and that makes you a Mills. And it's time for us Mills, Millses, Millsies, to do what we do best. 
save people, which really, Regina. No, what Millses do best is Mer- offer to offer to sacrifice themselves, but not actually have to face any consequences. That's what Charmings do. Yeah, Charmings Mills. What Mills do is they kill lots of people for a really long time and then feel bad about it and get redeemed relatively easily over a short period of time. Eh, yeah. So, so Lucy coming to terms with being a Mills should mean that she goes out and kills about a dozen people and she's like, oh, got that out of my system. I'm good now. Yeah, I, you're right. That is right. But yes, the two of them are going to work together to something, something, break curse without killing Henry, something, something. Honestly, they should have had this scene like three episodes ago. We should be past this, but at least we're finally here. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Okay, so honestly, I thought maybe our opinions might change a little when we were talking about it. Like, I would make you like it more. It you crystallized would make the... my hatred. It crystallized my ambivalence. Honestly, I don't like the hook plot, but mostly it's like water off a duck's back. It it happened and then it was over. It doesn't bother me to the degree that it clearly bothers you. I, I, I'm having a hard time putting my finger on why the mashup here bothered me. I, I It feels unearned in a way that I don't feel like I can quite explain. Hmm. It feels like, it feels lazy, like somebody... Like, somebody watched Once Upon a Time and thought they understood how to do a mashup, but didn't really. Alright, but going over this episode again, the scenes with, uh, the scenes with Lucy and Henry and Ivy and Jacinda. Sure. I feel like all of those were really strong and really should have been more of the main plot of the episode. Although I guess maybe they didn't have faith in people being interested in characters just talking about emotions and how to process them properly. Which is a shame because I think they would have. But if you want to talk about what should have been the main thrust of the episode, it should have been the relationship between Hook and Alice because that is what the episode was about, but we got hardly any of that. So... Although next week is looking up plot-wise. Yes, next week's episode is The Girl in the Tower... And the Netflix description says, On the run in Hyperion Heights, Tilly scrambles to establish an alibi while Alice and Robin Hood tangle with a troll in the Enchanted Forest. Okay, do you think this is just Netflix not really, like, knowing character names? Or is Robin's last name actually Hood? I'm gonna assume Robin's last name is actually Hood. And yes, that had better be Robin Daughter Robin. If there's some weird way that they bring back Robin Robin Hood, then I'm gonna be upset. This better be girl Robin. It just seems weird that she has her dad's first and last name. Shouldn't she have Zelina's last name? Green. West. I think Netflix probably went with how she's credited on the show, and she's probably credited as Robin Hood on the show. Weird. Yeah. All right, so Fashion Corner. Um. Uh, I don't really feel like there was a ton that really stuck out fashion-wise. I know, usually in this season, my go-to for Fashion Corner would be Ivy. But she was wearing this sweater with, like, really big pearls on it that is not a thing I like. I feel like they all, that always looks really heavy and almost matronly. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. Oh. I mean... I feel like we kind of talked it to death. The most interesting look was Regina's post one night stand look. There was, a, there was a lot going on into that outfit. I mean, it's not a great look, but it's a look that tells a story. Yeah, it's a look that conveys a narrative, which is 
what you want out of costuming. Costuming should tell a story. I feel like the costumers have been on point all season with the story behind the outfit in a way that I really do appreciate. But nothing stuck out to me as, oh my god, I wish that was in my closet the way. Usually there's at least one outfit in the episode that does that for me. Regina's last outfit in the episode, I do want to talk about it a little bit. I liked it a lot more when I thought it was just a black shirt instead of a very dark leopard print shirt. But she, it is kind of a good marriage of the Ronnie and Regina styles. She's wearing a very fancy sort of Hermes, 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 Hermes style, uh, it's really hard to tell at first because it just looks like a pattern, but it's actually a take on an American flag bandana. Oh, you're right. It's a black and white American flag. And she's wearing that over a very dark, but it's actually leopard print black t-shirt. And she's got high-waisted pants. And it it does look like there's more cohesiveness between her Ronnie and Regina looks now. I mean, we talk about it every week, so I feel kind of weird saying it again. But yes, the... Regina dresses herself from Out of Ronnie's Closet motif is awesome. And I actually, you said you liked this shirt better when you thought it was plain black. And I would have liked it better from an aesthetic point of view if it was plain black. But I feel like they've been doing a lot of clashing patterns with Regina slash Ronnie for the purpose of highlighting how it's kind of awkward. Mm. And I think this is another example of that. Although it is becoming more cohesive than her early Ron, uh, Regina dressing as Ronnie stuff. It's slowly clashing less. It's working better together. So, recommendations. You have a more on-theme recommendation than I do. I do. My recommendation is the Moby Dick graphic novel adaptation. The one that, uh, the, the one that Dark Horse put out? Yeah. Uh, Dark Horse put it out. The artist was uh, Christophe Chabot. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name, but it's gorgeous. I mean, it's just gorgeous black and white illustration of Moby Dick. And honestly, when I had to read that book in 10th grade, I really wish I'd had this graphic novel to go with it. It would have been amazing. So my recommendation is really more of a theme recommendation because it's something this episode made me think about how weirdly common it is. My recommendation is directly... The Incredibles. Oh, okay. I love that movie. Because it's a story about a man who goes out of his way, a man who was in a extra-legal, aggrandized position. Superhero. Superhero. Uh, who ends up giving it up so he can settle down with a family. And, you know, he gets pulled back into this old lifestyle even though it does nothing but feed his own pride, like there is no legitimate reason for him to go back to doing this thing, except he's sick of feeling domesticated. And this is a way for him to feel like his old self again. That is so weird. I hadn't thought about it, but you are right. The plot of this episode is basically the plot of The Incredibles. That is wild. But the thing is, it's a really weirdly common theme in a lot of modern animated movies. It's the plot of the fantastic Mr. Fox it's the plot of the latter Shrek movies. It's also the plot of the Despicable Me movies. Huh. So is, is this just an anxiety that people get when they start having kids? I've, it's definitely a. Uh, it's definitely something that apparently happens to male animators in their forties. I I will say I had kind of a crisis when I had my first adult job when I started teaching, 
where I was like, oh my god, I'm an adult now and I don't know what's happening and I don't feel like myself. And I had a little bit of a crisis of identity. And uh, then I moved to Portland. I felt 10 years younger. I still have an adult job, but I feel much more like I feel much more like I'm in my 20s, in my 30s than I did in my 20s. So, so my recommendation is move to Portland. No, don't. There's too many people here already. But maybe don't make a movie about how you're an older male father person who needs to reclaim his youth by engaging in very unnecessary, dangerous behaviors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't engage in dangerous behaviors. I just moved to Portland and started a podcast. Maybe that should be the lesson you take away. Just start a podcast, older male animators. It's it's much better and you're less likely to throw out your back. Speaking of Nightfall, (gasps) brought it around. Brought it around. Welcome to Storybrooke is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you could head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, and Javier. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook group. Search for Welcome to Television on Facebook. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Cats in a cradle with his microphone. Shorty mom goes, they both home all alone. Dad, when you coming home, son, I don't know when. But we'll have a good time then. Kick a few rhymes, then spit a few lines then. You know we'll have a good time.